0: Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat. Deadline day has passed. A trip to Sean Dyche's Everton is on the horizon and plonked right in the middle is your next fix of the Arsenal Beat. I'm Mark Bryans from PA Media and today I'm joined by a bumper panel of experts to look back at the window and what it meant for Arsenal. Sam Dean of The Telegraph and goals Charles Watts are here throughout while the Athletics' top Chelsea reporter Simon Johnson drops in to talk all things Jorginho and Molly Hudson of The Times runs us through the failed world record bid to Euro Euro's hero, Alicia Russo, from Manchester United. After we've been through all that, we'll cast our eyes forward to the Goodison trip and give Charles a chance to win at his favourite game, guest the Guna. <laughs> Right, guys, the big news yesterday was obviously Mohamed El Nene's surgery, um, followed by plans to extend... Mohamed El Nene's contract. But third on that list is clearly the signing of Jorginho from rivals Chelsea. Simon, you're here to give us the lowdown on the Italian. So, let's start with what what kind of player are Arsenal getting here, basically? Oh,
1: you don't want me to talk about Enzo Fernandes? No, uh, (laughs) right, um, Jorginho, okay. Um, Arsenal are getting a very um, experienced, great leader, um, he's a, been a real character in that Chelsea dressing room. Um actually started off when he joined Chelsea, not knowing much English, um, but just to emphasise sort of how he's ingratiated himself at Chelsea. He quickly learned the language and to become one of the main guys. I mean, just recently, when Graham Potter um, spoke to a leadership group um, with results not exactly going great, which I'm sure Arsenal fans have been enjoying, um, Jorginho was was one of the players in that leadership group so it 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 uh, it ticks a big box as far as Arsenal are concerned he, he will come in and 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 be uh instantly a, a figure to um command respect and and we'll we'll get get players on side pretty quickly as a player he's he's someone that um obviously likes to get his foot in the ball very sort of steady in possession he he's He doesn't come up with an enormous amount of assists. Um, His passing tends to be to start the moves going and and just get the play flowing. Um, Conversely, you could criticise the speed of play. Um, He can be quite slow on the ball. Um, He's certainly very slow pace-wise. So you've increasingly noticed how opponents have got players around him uh, and once you press and win back possession, you can get round him quite easily. So he will need some legs around him to sort of just protect him from his own lack of speed.
0: Sam, is it just off the field at least, is it a deal that works for Arsenal and what they needed yesterday, given what's been happening in January?
2: Um, yes, I think overall, yes. I mean, it was it was clear that Arsenal needed another defensive midfield player who could cover for Thomas party with and then he out for the rest of the season, as, as is expected. And obviously, Jorginho wasn't the first choice because they put £70 million on the table for Moises Caicedo at Brighton. But I think given the fact that that clearly wasn't going to happen and Arsenal ultimately accepted that, Jorginho does tick a lot of boxes, as Simon says. And frankly... Arteta and Eddie have earned the right to sign who they want, effectively. Um, I know that sounds quite blunt, but if you look at their transfer record over the past couple of seasons, it's been pretty exceptional, especially for the big money buys. I think only only Laconga really hasn't worked out. And, and admittedly, we'll, we'll wait to we'll see a bit more from Fabio Vieira. But aside from that, pretty much every deal they've put decent money down on um, has worked out. So they have absolutely earned the right to do this. What I should say is that I fully understand why... A lot of Arsenal fans have some concerns over this deal. I think the memory of Louise and Willian, Willian especially, because Louise obviously had good moments at Arsenal, but Willian especially, I think those memories are still quite fresh and I think they were quite scarring for many Arsenal fans. Um, and fundamentally, Arsenal have got where they are because of recruitment model that targets young players with potential to grow and resale value and relatively low wages. Jorginho does not tick that box. He's the oldest signing since William, who in turn was the oldest signing since David Luiz. So that's three in a row from Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea fans obviously will make those digs about the Chelsea retirement home. But fundamentally, Arteta wanted the player and Arteta has proven that he's worth trusting. Uh, he, we know he's liked Jorginho for a long time. He was at Manchester City when they tried to buy him from Napoli in 2018. He tried to buy him from Chelsea for Arsenal in 2020. And also there's an interview he did with Marco in Spain 2019, in which he said he loves a Jorginho type of player. So there's a long-held admiration from Arteta for Jorginho. And I'm sure he's got a plan of how he's going to fit in, even if it seems right now there's no obvious place for him in the starting eleven.
0: Sam, I'll come back to you quickly. Just why did they let him go? And and why was there such a... There was no, like, um, goodbye, really. There was no great goodbye from fans or the club. was there. No one seemed who bothered to see the back of it, really? Did they?
1: <laughs> well, you know, some of the responses to my uh, Chelsea done great business posts got a very angry uh, reaction. The Chelsea fan base has been very torn over Jorginho throughout his entire time there. Um, I think partly because certainly the negative, the negative side of the camp compare Mill favourably to Cesc Fabregas. Because um, Fabregas, as Arsenal fans will know, um, is one of the best passes of the ball um, in the Premier League uh, that the Premier League has seen. So he, I think Georgino, the expectations were he'd be a very similar player, and that he would create a lot more chances than he actually did. But I think I think yeah, there was a statement from Chelsea, but of course the minds were all focused on what Chelsea were doing in the market. As for has this come as a surprise, etc.? No, it hasn't. Um, I knew this was going to be his last season at Chelsea. Um, from my understanding, he was telling teammates this was his last season. And to be honest, he's been playing like it, that um, he's been going through the motions quite a bit. Um, and so I think for, for Chelsea, it's great business that they're getting £12 million for a player that they were already resigned to, or not even resigned because they were moving on anyway, but that they were um, calculating was going to leave for nothing in the summer. So to get £12 for him, albeit to to see him go to a rival, um, I I think they sort of see it as as great business. And I do as well, especially given there's a lot of outgoings at the moment. They could do with some incomings. Um, And Jorginho, um, yeah, I, I, I think this also might be just the... The, the boost he needs the, the sort of just to get him going again get his mojo going again it it's uh, as I said it, it would have been a shame if he'd just sort of played out his Chelsea career in kind of very half-hearted fashion as they try and secure UEFA Conference League football um, now he's got this massive carrot of being part of a title winning team who knows may, may go on to compete in for the European competition as well Um so yeah, I, I just think it, it 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 works for both clubs basically. It is is a great deal for both.
0: Charles Simon mentioned there how the difference in opinion on, on Jorginho's exit. I think the same could be very much said for Jorginho's arrival at Arsenal. Did it surprise you somewhat? There was almost an initial outrage when when Arsenal are going for a player that's won Champions Leagues, he's won Europa Leagues, he's won the Euros, obviously. Did did that surprise you?
3: No, it didn't surprise me. I think given where he's coming from, as Sam touched on, the the previous players who have arrived from Chelsea have not exactly pulled up any trees. I think mainly, I mean, William was such an unmitigated disaster that anything that kind of links back to him just immediately sort of brings up a sense of fury amongst Arsenal fans. I, think, I don't think David Louise was... Was that bad when he was at Arsenal? He, I don't think Arsenal would have won the FA Cup about David Luiz in 2020. And obviously, Czech was okay. He wasn't. He didn't repeat his heroics from Stamford Bridge. But William was the big disaster. And that was fairly recent as well. So I think everyone's got pretty fresh memories of how badly that went. So I think a lot of people were thinking of him when Jorginho arrived. I think everyone had been so excited by the Casido deal as well and the fact that it dragged on. And when suddenly you go from a... you know a young project sign in who looks you know everyone's very excited about uh, suddenly this guy who's 31 who everyone's seen for a long time over here and knows well it's just it just doesn't have that same buzz does it so I'm not surprised at the reaction you know my initial reaction when I heard it was very similar to the rest of social media I think it was just like oh really Jorginho I'm, my sort of angst over it has been slightly lessened I think by the fact that A it didn't cost Arsenal that much money and B more importantly they only gave him an 18 month contract so you're kind of avoiding that scenario of a costly millstone around the club's neck for three four years who you can't get rid of you know it's only an 18 month deal and I don't think it's going to have any effect on what they potentially will do in the summer when they try and rebuild in the midfield area as well so I'm slightly less bothered about it now and you know, ultimately how it's going to be viewed is how he does over the next six months, C- uh, isn't it? I mean, if he comes in, he helps Arsenal get over the line and win the Premier League title, it's going to look like a fine piece of business that he's going to be a hero. If he comes in and doesn't perform an Arsenal miss out to Manchester City, then he's going to be viewed like Willian was, I imagine. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not overly surprised, like I said, but we'll have to wait and see over the next six months how ultimately he's going to be viewed.
0: Just one more, Simon, before I let you go. Um, and Charles mentioned it there about millstones of long contracts around next week. Can't let you go without talking about a certain Mudrick. Um, you looking forward to to what he can do at Stamford Bridge? That that debut at Anfield was, was
1: impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a little flash um, of what uh, the Arsenal haven't lost many times this season, obviously. Um, but they have been losing out to Chelsea. And, uh, and just touching what Charles said as well. I'd imagine there's an element of frustration that Jorginho may be sort of almost take the brunt of, of Arsenal missing out on not just Casado, but Mudrick, João Felix was another one. Um, but essentially, I still see Jorginho as like a, it's a bit like a João Felix loan deal, because that's essentially what it is. I, I think it's been bought mainly... Um, for the, the next four months, hasn't he? He's not been bought for next season, it's just someone to help him get over the line. But, but, but back to Mudrick, yes, very exciting. Um, the potential there is enormous, but of course, Graham Potter has got this rather interesting job now of, of, of basically working with a almost like a new team mid season. Um. It's not as if he was doing a wonderful job with the previous team. <laughs> so, so it, it will give Chelsea a massive injection, obviously, of excitement. I, I, I'm i expecting Stamford Bridge maybe to a bit more upbeat than it has been lately um, for the West London derby against Fulham on Friday night. But Madrid, everyone's excited to see him get a full 90 minutes. It was only a little cameo. He, he's got a lot to prove, but maybe... Enzo Fernandes the fact there's so many other new signings it kind of takes a bit of pressure off everybody because it's not just the focus on one man there's so many other players to look at but uh, I don't think Arsenal have too much to worry about Chelsea they'll just they'll be just enjoying seeing them in their distant rearview mirror.
0: That seems like a perfect
1: point for for
0: you to jump out Simon thank you so much (laughs) for joining us and um a kind of good luck for the rest of the season, I think. Well, well no, maybe not. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, mate. It was also the WSL deadline day yesterday and Arsenal were in the hunt for a top-class striker. A move for Russo failed to materialise. Here's our resident women's football expert, Molly, offering an update on just what happened in the past couple of days. First off, Molly, thank you for joining us once again on the Arsenal Beat. Um, Why don't we start with what would Arsenal have been wanting to do in, in this current January window and why?
4: I think this window was a multifaceted one for Arsenal. There were a few different areas that they were keen to work on and I think it's fair to say some have gone better than others. Let's start with the positives. Um, Jonas Eideval was really keen to lower the age profile of the squad. And he's brought in Victoria Pilova from Ajax and Catherine Cool from FC Nordjylland. And they're two fantastic talents, some of the best in Europe. And I think they tick both boxes. They tick the box for the future and can see them really building Eideval's team. But also, I think they can do a job now, certainly as squad players, which is going to be really important this season because Arsenal are fighting on all fronts, um, obviously in the Champions League as well. And we know how difficult balancing that with domestic competitions can be. Then there were a couple of players that, that needed moving out for various reasons. And the biggest name, one of those, is obviously Jordan Nobbs, England international Arsenal legend. I think a few people were perhaps surprised that this was a permanent move to Aston Villa, but I uh, certainly from speaking to the people at the club, I think it was very much understood that Jordan needed this move in order to make the England squad in the summer for the world cup. And when you have a player like Jordan, who was given so much for Arsenal, she'd almost earned that chance to leave on her terms. And I think Jonas and the rest of the staff understood that it would have been unfair for her to be, let's be honest, a bit part player at Arsenal and not be able to show her true talent. Um, So I think a lot of fans will certainly miss her. Another one is Manette who again hasn't fitted in with Jonas's kind of style of play. She's kind of been the forgotten player at Arsenal, really, a fantastic talent, but just doesn't work in Jonas's system. Um, mostly been on the bench she has been loaned to Tottenham which for for any fans of men's football listening to this podcast it's it's not a move that's often made in the men's game but there are a lot of different considerations in the women's game the rivalry isn't as strong and obviously Mana comes from Japan has uprooted her life to come and live in London wanted to stay in London, also needed to play at a club of a high enough level to challenge her, but also not one that would be a direct rival to Arsenal in terms of the title race. So in that sense, Tottenham ticks all of those boxes as hard as that might be for Arsenal fans to take. Then, arguably, the most important part of this window was to bring in a striker. Now, the main reasons for this are the injuries to Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemar, Both were unfortunate enough to do their ACLs, anterior cruciate ligament. Probably going to be out for the rest of the season, pretty much, um, or certainly a huge, huge chunk of it. And it leaves a big gap in that Arsenal strike force. Now, Jonas has been very, very clear. We must bring in a prolific goalscorer. And I think it's been very clear that he was right. You watch Arsenal-Chelsea missed a host of chances, ended up dropping points in that game that they deserved to win. They only got a draw out of it, and I think it really summed up why it was so important for Arsenal to bring in a striker in this window.
0: Um, Alessia Russo, was was that ever a realistic ambition and, and one they may revisit in the summer, perhaps?
4: Alessia Russo was Arsenal's number one choice. Let's be really clear about that. It's difficult to say whether she was a realistic ambition because I think the fact that Manchester United have done so well this season has complicated matters. Because I think if you were looking at a Manchester United of last season, who were maybe in fourth position, probably not going to get the Champions League, not in the title race, a move a move to Arsenal would have been a lot more attractive. And it would have been a lot more attractive for United to take a sum of money and reinvest it in the squad because United currently sit at the top of the table. It's a very different proposition. You're selling to a direct rival and throughout Manchester United have been very adamant that they didn't want to do that. I think the fact that Arsenal put a number of bids in and I understand that one of those bids involves Stina Blackstenius, and around £200,000. There was then a separate bid of £400,000, which would have equaled or just surpassed the previous world record fee set by Kira Walsh's move from Manchester City to Barcelona. And then there was a third move in which Arsenal offered £500,000. At that stage, it was made clear that it didn't really matter what figure Arsenal offered, Alessia Russo would not be moving in this transfer window. Arsenal are not the only club that were interested in her. She has six months left on her deal. She will leave for free, reasonably likely, in the summer, because it seems unlikely that she will re-sign with Manchester United, although of course they will be hoping they can persuade her before that contract runs out. Olympic Lyons in France are one of those clubs interested. Chelsea are interested. I think, as somebody said to me today, it it would be crazy if you wasn't interested in a player of the calibre of Alessia Russo who has six months left on her deal and will be three in the summer. So I think it will be one that Arsenal will try and revisit in the summer, but it just feels as though from Arsenal's point of view, they put all of their eggs in one basket, using a bit of a Love Island reference there, and it's all sort of broken down for them. I think there was some talk, some rumours that perhaps these bids were to show Russo how highly they value her. But let's be clear, they needed her now. In six months' time, the title could have been gone. So... I think it's a real blow for Arsenal that they haven't got Russo now, even if they do go back in for her in the summer and potentially she still comes to Arsenal.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, what, what other options did Arsenal explore during during the January window in terms of finding that, that
4: striker? Signa Brun of Olympic Lyons was one of those other options that were explored, I think, as i understand it the player was keen to come to arsenal um she's been on loan in the women's super league before she was at manchester united for a period although i don't think we really saw the best of her because she struggled with injuries in that period um but leons were were reluctant to sell and were throughout and i think this is really the root of the problem for arsenal that they left it so late until the end of the window, really, to put these official bids in for Russo, and then it felt like they were scrambling around on the surface, at least, to find almost a backup option when it was clear that United weren't going to sell. Obviously, it's going to be difficult for Leon's to replace somebody like Brune, who is essentially their backup striker, um, to Ada Hegerberg. Although herself, she has had injuries too, so they were always going to be reluctant to sell. I think. There were some rumours that Arsenal were also interested in Jess Park, who is a Manchester City player that is on loan at Everton. So that was a really complicated deal to do and neither Manchester City or Everton were keen to do it. Um, So again, it, it just felt a little bit last minute for Arsenal. And I think that is why ultimately we sit here with the window having closed and they haven't brought a striker in. From the outside at least, it just looks a bit haphazard, a bit unplanned. And the main thing is how absolutely adamant Jonas was that they needed to get a prolific goal scorer in. And if you're going to be that public, then it doesn't look great when you don't get anything over the line.
0: Where does where does it leave Arsenal now in terms of the quest for trophies over the course of the rest of the season? Has it done done much damage?
4: I think it's going to be difficult for Arsenal certainly to win multiple trophies this season. I think I touched on it earlier on, but it's difficult to fight on all fronts. And it's even more difficult when you're missing two of your key players through injury and you're relying on the likes of Stina Blackstenius and you're relying on Lena Hertig, both of which have struggled a little bit for goals. Um, they haven't quite looked as that sort of world-class forward that Arsenal really need. Um, especially when you look at Arsenal's rivals, both in the Women's Super League, you've got Sam Kerr for Chelsea, you've got Russo (laughs) for Manchester United, and then you look abroad and there's, you know, so many quality forwards that are competing in the Champions League. So I think it is going to be difficult. I think the bonus that Arsenal have is they do have the experience at this stage of the season, and that probably gives them the edge over Manchester United, Although, look, we're sat here at the start of February, United are top of the league, and we keep waiting for them to slip up. And they just aren't. And they're proving to, at the moment, they're handling the pressure. So the short answer is, I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think if Arsenal do get to the end of the season and they realise that they haven't won a trophy, I think they'll look back on this window and think, not only should we have done more for a striker but we should have done it earlier in the window because I think that's the key. I don't think you can fault Arsenal for putting 400,000, 500,000 bids in for a player, but I think you can fault the timing of it, which has left them struggling around and ultimately not getting the deal done. And even if it's just psychologically, that has to be a big blow now going into the second half of the season.
0: Time now for Access All Arsenal, our feature that brings you closer to the reporters who cover the club on a daily basis. Given we've had the transfer window and today we've been talking about it already, we thought we'd answer some of your questions on that very subject. Uh, Loyal listener Steve F is the first in line today and Sam, he asks, which first team positions, if any, need upgrading to win the Champions League next season? We're already bypassing the Premier League. We're already thinking about winning the Champions League next season.
2: Yeah, I love the ambition there. Um, I think, despite the arrival of Jorginho, I think central midfield is definitely an area still. Um, We've not talked properly yet about Mohamed Alneni and the likelihood that his contract will be extended, as revealed by yourself, Mark, last night. Um, But that's clearly another short term thing. And Jorginho, again, can be filed in the sort of short term bracket. We know they like Declan Rice. And they've been looking at him as their top summer target. We know they like Moises Caicedo, obviously, because they were willing to effectively break their club transfer record to sign him. Whether they can get both is a big question. They wanted both in terms of Caicedo now and and Rice in the summer. Whether that's feasible or possible at the end of this season, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows currently. Um, Caicedo was very keen to leave this month and... It will be interesting to see how that pans out now and how available he may be and what price he may be available for in the summer. Um, Rice is certainly expected to leave West Ham and Arsenal, as far as we understand it, have positioned themselves at the front of the queue for him. But as ever, let's see what Chelsea do on that one too, because Rice and Chelsea go way back and have a long history there. Uh, aside from that, when you look at the sort of squad depth chart, and I put one on my Twitter this morning, um, just looking at it. I think another right-winger or left-winger to compete with Saka and Martinelli would be an important addition. Obviously, Trossard's come in and adds depth there, a key area, but for now, still, if you're thinking about having two players per position, you've got Reese Nelson sort of backing up Saka on the right wing. And that strikes me as a area to strengthen if you want to push on and really challenge for the Champions League next year. And, and hopefully, from Arsenal's point of view, keep going in the push for the Premier League title. Um, I do wonder, given the financial situation in Spain and how the, the move hasn't really gone as he would have expected, uh, whether Rafinha might become available again. We know that Arsenal like him and would have taken him this summer. And given Barca's financial situation, it doesn't seem unreasonable to suggest they might have another look at him again uh, at the end of this season.
0: Charles, the next one, given you like to, to hack around an 18 uh, whole course, this question to you comes from Nigel B. Golf, uh, who wants to know, how urgent is it now to sign Saliba and Saka to new long-term deals? Obviously, we saw the Martinelli one pretty much ready to, to be announced. So Saliba and Saka next, just how urgent is that for Arsenal? I suppose important, we know, but is is there an urgency to it? I think
3: urgent, I mean... Probably not massively urgent, but I think you want to get it done as soon as possible, don't you? You don't want it to drag on. I mean, we were we were with Mikel a few months ago when he was saying he wanted Saka done quickly because he did not want it to become a distraction. And at that point, I think we we're all expecting an announcement fairly soon after that, especially after what Bukaya said in the mix zone pretty much the following weekend. It hasn't happened. Great news about Martinelli, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd want that done very, very quickly just because you don't want to go into the summer Potentially, with both of those only having one year left on their contract, because it just opens it opens you up to clubs coming in and offering big money, and then that could become a distraction. A player could become unsettled, so you want to get it done pretty quickly. I mean, Arsenal had a very busy January. Eddie's had a lot on his plate. You would expect now, especially with Martinelli done, that the the, the focus very much is going to be on the next couple of months on those two. We I mean, know talks are ongoing, and they have been for a long time, so. I mean, it's very, very important. I wouldn't say it's urgent just because Arsenal do have that other year, that that another year to go, but you you want to get it done very, very quickly. You don't want it to drag on.
0: Sam, Sam, you're up next and a crack of you here from Gunnar Funder, who asked simply, is Edu great or lucky?
2: Well, um, I said at the start of this podcast that Edu and Arteta had earned the right to sign whoever they wanted. And... Um, that in itself is a measure, I think, of how well Edu has done. I mean, obviously, there will be fans this month saying that he was unable to sign Mudrik, who was the first choice. He was then unable to sign Jao Felix, who was also the top target. And, and then obviously Moises Caicedo. So there are three top targets that Arsenal looked at who didn't arrive at the club. But fundamentally, Edu is working within a certain set of financial parameters that Chelsea do not operate with. Chelsea blew Arsenal out of the water on Mudrik and Felix, despite Mudrik making it clear that he wanted to join Arsenal. Felix was slightly different, slightly more short-term as a player became available. But again, Chelsea were willing to offer financial terms that way exceeded what Arsenal were willing to go to. That is not Edu's job to decide how much money he can or cannot put down on a player. He has to work within the parameters set by the club. And frankly... The the unusual ones here and the exceptions to the rule are not Arsenal, but they're Chelsea, as we've seen. So fundamentally, I think it's harsh to say that Edu has failed in that regard, because simply put, Chelsea are playing a different game and just smashed the board up. And this is chess; they just come in with a hammer and just beaten it to put to a pop. So that's not really Edu's fault, and you have to say his business that he's done since Raoul he left and since Arteta came in. So I think if you look at it from the starting point of January 2020. Arsenal have consistently and gradually improved the squad and the squad depth. And we've seen that based on the results of the team. And when Arsenal top of the league by five points with one of the youngest teams in the squad in the Premier League, you really can't argue with what they've done as a squad. And I think for people to be criticising Edu and for Edu out to be trending on social media yesterday as a response to the Jorginho deal was, to be frank, quite ludicrous. I also think it's not really appreciated that
0: stability behind the scenes has clearly played a part in the improvements on the pitch lately. You know, when, when Wenger first left, it wasn't just, you know, the managers and that situation that was that was changing all the time. It was behind the scenes, it was a mess, you know. They, they didn't know who to put into top positions. When they appointed people, they left. They appointed people who made bad decisions and then left. And then Edu came in, you know, technical director at Arteta as the manager. They found a structure that works and they both deserve praise them for working so closely together to deliver what could be could be a Premier League title, couldn't it? Um, Charles, finally, from from this section, we've got a question from Jaspreet Singh, who asks, ideally, everyone is looking at Jorginho as backup to Thomas Partey. But is there any chance to see Jorginho starting a game alongside Partey, do you think, in the rest of the season?
3: Oh, Alongside him? I can't see that, really. I'm not sure. I mean, Jorginho's is not going to play in the granite jacquerel is he I'd, i mean he just does not have the legs to do what granite does um so I, i'd be very very surprised he's clearly come in as backup to thomas party i think that's again it surprised me a little bit about the sort of reaction that that transfer has got is and when you kind of listen on the radio when i'm driving around and i'm listening to talk shows talking about the signing it's all like presuming he's he's going to come in as a starter i mean he if things go well for Arsenal between now and the end of the season, Jorginho is not really going to play many minutes. Certainly in the Premier League, or you would think He's certainly not start many games. He's there purely to provide backup for Thomas Partey. So, I'd be very surprised if they if they played together. I just can't see it. You look at him, and he is very much the backup for for Thomas. If something goes wrong, and you know Granite will be, you'll have Smith Rowe, Vieira, players like that who who would come in for him if he wasn't there. So no, I can't I can't see that. At all, can you?
0: No, no, I can't. Sam?
2: I've been thinking about Jorginho, as we all have been in the past 24 hours, and my mind keeps going back to a game last season when Arsenal went to Watford away, and they won. But afterwards, Arteta said, we had to make 300,000 passes in the opposition half. Fundamentally, Jorginho is one of the best in Europe at keeping the ball. You could even call him a keep ball merchant in the uh, the social media terms. Like he he is exceptional, receiving possession under pressure and finding a way out and keeping things rolling. I can very much envisage a situation in which Arsenal are say one 0 up with half an hour to go, and they bring on Jorginho to totally calm the game down. And I think he'd be very good at that. Whether that's alongside party, maybe changing shape a bit, or coming in directly for party and giving a giving party a chance to rest his legs and to sort of get some ice on them or whatever he needs to be doing. I can see that working both ways. And also, if you think about the kind of players that Arteta's added and they do have added to the squad and where they were before in terms of the lack of technicians, maybe that's the wrong word, but Arsenal have historically had loads of sort of midfield players who are comfortable receiving the ball in tight spaces. They then went through a phase, particularly towards the end of Arsene Wenger and then the first couple of, well, he's only there for a couple of years, but the couple of years under Unai Emery when that changed a lot. And in midfield, especially, Arsenal did not have the ball players that we had come to expect. And now when you sort of picture it, if you can imagine Zinchenko tucking in and combining with Martin Odegaard and Jorginho, that's a very hard set of players to take the ball off. If you can imagine playing 5 aside side against those three, you're not going to touch the ball much, are you? And I think that all speaks to Arteta's obsession with passing, possession, keeping the ball and effectively controlling the game controlling the game with the ball and drawing this thing from their opponents so Mm -hmm. Jorginho certainly fits that mould I'm with Charles that I don't expect him to start a huge amount of games but I really think he could be a very useful asset uh, if Arsenal are ahead ahead of matches and want to control things and calm things down
3: You look at his numbers this season and I mean Simon was saying he was kind of going through the motions or he's had the impression of a player going through the motions this season but you look at his numbers and they are surprisingly impressive in all areas when you look I mean he He's, he wins possession on average more than Party and Casido during games. Um, he he has more touches. He he makes more tackles. So it's not just about keeping the ball as well It's sort of winning possession and recoveries. He, he's ahead of Party and Casido by some distance. The one area where he sort of struggles compared to those two is dribble passed by opponents. It's like 1.6 on average per game, and Partey's 0.9, and Casillas 0.4. So you can see once you get past, he's not the hardest to get round because of his age potentially and his mobility issues. But in possession and winning possession back, he ranks really, really highly, which uh, I'm I've been really surprised by looking at looking at his numbers, especially in a season where, as Simon he obviously watches them a lot more than than we have, seems to you know suggest he's almost looked like he's going through the motions a bit.
0: Right, signings have been made. Windows are now locked, guys. It's time for a trip to Everton next up, uh, a game that suddenly provides an altogether different challenge with Sean Dyche taking charge of the Toffees. Charles, that will make a big difference, won't it? That that crowd behind Everton, an early kickoff, all that kind. Of, I'm just I'm trying to build you up for the long journey you're having to Everton on on Saturday, but it's going to be a tough game now, isn't it?
3: I mean, it's going to be a tough game. Arsenal being. Crap at Goodison as well recently, haven't they? You think back to that game with Rafa Benita's game when Everton basically lost 20 matches in a row, either side of that match, and then they beat Arsenal 2 1 uh, with that Damari Gray <laughs> winner. And so it's not been a happy hunting ground for them, and it will be. You imagine the crowd are going to be up for it. I'm, I'm glad it's a lunchtime kickoff rather than a nighttime kickoff. It just feels like the, the atmosphere might not be quite as intense as it would have been in the evening. And I also think the crowd are going to be so mightily pissed off at their business or lack of business in the transfer window. I mean, it's an incredible final day from them in the position they're in to to lose Gordon and not replace him. was just remarkable business by Everton. So I think that might take away a slightly as well because there's still going to be a lot of anger there rather than the excitement of a fresh new dawn. And um, So it will be difficult. And it, the, the new manager bounce is clearly thing, although I, I have to say I was thinking of doing a piece on this ahead of the match I'm not doing it now, I've shelved it because the, the the numbers just don't back up doing it Arsenal have not been bad in this situation, I was looking back, it's been like 20 years in 20 years since the I think they faced about 16 games, they've only lost one and that was to Slav and Bilic on the opening day of the um, 2015 season season and so that wasn't even like coming in midway through the season and having that new manager bounce it was you know he'd had a whole pre-season and, and stuff like that so they haven't done too badly a, a, against them and Everton are a bit of a shambles right now so I'm I, I'm not overly concerned which is the kiss of death they'll clearly lose now but it, it will be tougher than it would have been but I still expect Arsenal the quality they're in, that they've got the confidence they're playing with they should still go there and take the sting out of that crowd early doors and, and get on top and win the game.
2: I obviously don't know how Sean Dyche is going to line up, although we can probably have a good guess at it based on his uh, previous at Burnley. And I think there have been some sort of training pictures Everton have put out. Basically, the players sort of bent over double in exhaustion and being forced to effectively run doggies. So, And given that it's, it's his first game and it's at home, you would expect, or the safe bet would be, that Everton will try and press really hard, run very around very aggressively and basically try to chase Arsenal down. And fundamentally, the absolute worst thing you can do against Arsenal is press badly. If you're going to press well, then fine, that will cause problems. But if you press badly, Arsenal will simply pick you off by paying through the midfield, turning you around, and suddenly you've got a sacker running at your left back and you're in serious trouble. So if Everton do try that and try the energetic approach up and at and get the crowd behind us approach, then I could easily see that being torn to shreds quite quickly if they just sit back and say, we're not stupid, you're really good, we're going to sit here with basically back four, midfield five, and just camp on the edge of the box, then that might be more challenging. But I think the temptation for Dyche would be to try and have a high-intensity, high-energy approach in front of his own fans on, on his first game. And that, I think, would probably suit Arsenal. Yeah, I think it's
0: it's that situation, is it? It's not as black and white as we've got a new man in, the whole crowd's going to get behind him. They still don't want the board there. You know, That like Charles mentioned, they haven't got any signings. So, you do wonder if there will be that Lewis dunk at the Emirates effect of if Arsenal go 1-0 up in the first 10 minutes, will that crowd turn? Not on Obviously not on Dyche, but they're not happy. They're not happy about a lot of things at that club. So, it's, it's not simply all fixed just because Lampard's gone. So, so to that end, I think I think you're spot on. But do they just play into Arsenal's hands by, by pressing and then and catch your scores after 10 minutes. I suppose it's it's a tough situation for Dyche, isn't it? Um, in terms of Arsenal team selection, Charles, they're not used to this season going into games on the back of a defeat. But the City performance was was fine, wasn't it, with the changes it's made? And, and those that were rested will all come back in, won't they?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think the team picks itself, doesn't it? Barring any injuries that we don't know about. I think all the changes that he made against Manchester City, he'll revert to type. I don't think the City game was bad at all you never want to lose a game obviously but I think for Arsenal the key thing there was not to disrupt momentum and get a hammer in at City having made all those changes I think they went there and performed well and could have won the game um, even with all those changes so I don't think that will have too much of an impact on the momentum that Arsenal built up and I mean the team just it just does pick itself doesn't it I think we can all sit here right now and we'd all we'd all predict the exact same start in 11 that, that will line up on Saturday.
0: Right, time now for everyone's favourite game. I say everyone, I know it's not yours, Charles, but, you know, one of these days you might win it. Um, This is Guess the guna. Now, we changed the rules slightly last week in the sense that instead of having everyone screaming over the top of me, after each clue, both combatants, if you like, will get a chance to pitch their first guess. And the person who gets it gets the three points and goes into the league table. Dan Matthews got Mikel Arteta last week, which we thought was topical.
3: Uh, that was a great shout. That was. I was very impressed with Dan for that. I, I had no idea. As usual. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Sam, who is normally quite good at this, was left flagging. Um so I'm gonna spin my virtual coin, if you bear with me one second. Charles, would you like to call heads or tails? Tails. Tails never fails. Here we go. It is. It is Tails. So you will get to go f- with the first guest from the first clue. Don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. so let's play guess the gooner I mean I wrote the clues and I know this is a curse because I don't think you get it from the first one but yeah let's give it a go well
3: I won't get it from the last one Mark
0: (laughs) (laughs) I scored 27 goals for my country Would you like a Lucas, guess, Charles? Lucas Incorrect, but I do like your thing of having a guess. I think every, you should guess at every clue, is my little hint. Sam, would you like a guess?
2: Carlos Vela.
0: Incorrect. So, Sam, you'll have the first guess on this one. Mm. I won the UEFA Cup, the FA Cup, and a cup in another country.
2: Jimmy, not all for us. Obviously not, because you can't win a cup in another country. Uh, the, <laughs> UA- the UEFA Cup. Well, that's going back a little bit, isn't
0: it? The UEFA Cup, the FA Cup, and a cup competition in another country. So Incorrect. Mr. Watts? Um, the UEFA
3: Cup. No, I can't think. Go next one.
0: Number three. I was also a runner-up in the First Division and Second Division. Charles, I thought your screen had frozen then, but it's actually you just deep in thought, That's I
3: It's <laughs> me, it's my go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first it, as in the old First Division? The old First Division and old Second Division. An old Second Division? My God. Um. No, I don't know I'm going to keep thinking
0: Sam uh, pass, pass for now please So Sam, you're first at this time I scored 15 goals in 107 Arsenal appearances
2: That makes him a midfielder I reckon And I think I know what sort of era we're talking about if he got 27 goals for his country, he must have played a lot of games for his country. I'm thinking out loud here to buy myself time for <laughs> a, a, a name down. Um, the, the second division, did you said he ran up in the second division as well? He was. What sort of player plays in the second division that's scores 27 goals for their country? <laughs> he must have had so many caps. Uh, skip for now.
0: Come to you, Charles. I oh, this is so hard, Mark. Um, Niall Quinn. No, but I do like that as a guest. That's very nice. And it's with first to you this time, Charles, with I also made 134 appearances in England's fourth
3: division. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Who have you gone for here,
0: mate?
2: <laughs> uh, oh. oh, my God. Uh, Can I just did you say how many goals he scored for Arsenal? Fifteen. In hundred
0: and thirty appearances. Hundred and seven. Okay, thank you. And he won the UEFA
3: Cup? He did. <laughs> uh, Michael Thomas. Incorrect.
0: Sam, would you like a guess?
1: No,
2: thanks.
0: No. I right. never played for me. God, Let's impossible. keep it going. <laughs> with question number six I left Arsenal in 1999 having seen a move breakdown earlier in the year
2: yeah that, I mean I've got the, the right sort of age and era but that doesn't mean like it's
3: 1999. <laughs> right, skip, skip me because I anything. Skip me. Charles? Oh, and honestly, Mark, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Not So he left after the United treble season when Arsenal, when United absolutely got lucky, ridiculously lucky. Shouldn't have won anything that season and won it all. Ah. Uh, um, The UEFA Cup thing is just really, really <laughs> played in the first, second, fourth division in England. Won the UEFA Cup. <laughs> scored 24 goals for his country. You're just making this up. This isn't a real person. Yeah, exactly.
2: It's, the, it's the, the lower league. The lower league stuff is absolutely rubbish. That's why mm-hmm. I can't get my head around. I keep thinking of are like, quite good options, but who would definitely not have played in the second division?
3: Just scored a 25 goals for his country. No, I give up, Mark. Go next one. So we're down to the
0: final clue. What? <laughs> you should have done way more. I think <laughs> I, I think Charles will get it from this clue, and he's first up. So no pressure. The seventh and final, until I go on Wikipedia and look for more. Clue is, I started my career as an apprentice at Manchester United.
3: I'm not going to get that from that clue. I
2: yes, on... oh. Do you know it, No. This is this is when this is like A I'm and this is not a dig, but A, I'm a bit younger than you, Charlie.
3: And B I'm Actually, this a big, is like my the ultimate time of my, me supporting Arsenal back yeah. you No, know, this is like this, um, I, this is so confusing.
2: He's gotta be he's gotta be Irish. He's gotta I'm Irish. both younger than you and not an Arsenal fan. So I feel I feel like the
1: pressure's on you here, not me.
2: Scottish Paul Dickov
0: Incorrect <sighs> Sam would you like your guess
2: Honestly slightly. I, I It's just slightly before my I mean obviously I was alive at the time Yeah But I wasn't that particularly plugged into like career paths and path arsenal journeymen age six <laughs> 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 So I'm struggling a bit on this you can pass if you you'd know, like.
3: I literally would have been sat in the stands watching him play. If he played what? 100 games, he left in night. I mean, I, I would have... Oh, this is so confusing. This is going to do my head in when you tell me who it is. Sam, would you
0: like the next clue, which you are answering first on this guest? Yes, please. I have managed in the Indian Super League.
1: <laughs> 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 oh...
2: Who would have gone? I mean, quite a few people have gone out there. I feel like Robbie Fowler's gone out there, but he definitely isn't an Arsenal player. Um, oh, Christ. This is embarrassing, isn't it? We're struggling here. <laughs> Who's the guy who went to Woking for a bit and he's like 40? Not this man. Okay, not this guy. <laughs> 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 this,
3: isn't, this isn't a man. This isn't real. <laughs>
0: uh, would you like a guest, Charles?
3: In the Indian Super League, I fit that. has that kind of rung a bell there, and this is going to annoy me even more because I think I I should know it from that one. I'm trying to think who who went over and managed over there, and I can't think of any of them. Go on, Nick. Come up with another one.
0: Come up, on, yeah. I'm struggling. Right, I it's scored. Stupid players, <laughs> I scored my first senior international goal at a World Cup.
3: Oh my god. Can you d- do Arsenal questions? Make it <laughs> <laughs> I mean you would you would def- you really first see your senior Arsenal goal or something like that. You would definitely
2: remember this goal. I mean well, the time frame would suggest ninety eight World Cup. Ninety four. But then maybe ninety four. Or it could be two thousand and two, but that seems less likely. No, I
3: can't imagine it. it's two thousand and two.
0: Uh, it's gotta be 94. It was it's none of those World Cups.
2: Oh, 1990. It must have been it. 1990 World Cup. Oh, that literally was before I
3: was born. That was my first World <laughs> Cup. God, I had all the videos, I will know exactly who who this was. God, who's got it, it first? I forgot who's I mean, guess it is I forgot whose guess it is first, so let's just say if you, you guess
0: the guess a name I'll tell you if you're right or not.
3: Yeah. Um come on, it's, Dino, buy me some time, try and come up with someone. Right,
0: here's, here's a topical clue for you. My first Arsenal goal came in a 2-0 win at Goodison Park in 1995.
1: <laughs>
3: Who the hell is this player? I can just imagine all the listeners listening to this now. They're probably turned off by this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> a bump, it's a
0: bumper edition of the pod today, guys. God. No, also, I'm not gonna this. I also managed my country's under 21 team.
3: I think you're just going to have to tell us, Mark. I mean, it's no, remarkable go, Come on, we'll get there. We'll get there. One
2: <laughs> we'll have to yeah. do this.
0: This is a Guest
2: Laguna special as an addition. so Just to confirm. Yeah. He's a 1990s journeyman midfielder. who had a long international career and scored at a World Cup in
3: 1990. Italian. And won the UEFA Cup. And played and in the, won four-
2: the, UEFA in the Cup.
3: Cup. Yeah, all of those things are true. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What was the one about he scored his first international goal? That was in 1990. He scored his first international goal for his country in 1990.
0: Yep. And he made 62 appearances for his country.
2: So he got 27 goals in 62 appearances for the country. He did. He could be a striker then.
3: I feel like he has to have played for, uh, has to be a, a British player. Surely, if he's been playing in the lower leagues in British football. I, I won. Like, I won the UEFA Cup with Juventus. Came through United.
2: United's United youth team.
0: Yep. Would you like me to do that old-school game of reading through his senior career on Wikipedia? And then you can all just guess as soon as you hear the team that you think it is. Who did I ask you to sign him from? You'll get it if I give you that. So, I'm going to slowly read... We need to get it. <laughs> I'm, going to sl- I'm going to slowly and surely read down his club career. So, youth career Manchester United. Senior career began in 1985 at Crewe, which was in the fourth division. He then finished runner-up in the first division and second division, playing for Aston Villa. He then moved to Italy, where he played for Bari. He played for Juventus. David Platt Platt is correct! Oh, my
2: God. (laughs)
3: Oh, of
0: course, oh, he did score God.
3: against Everton two 0 Ian Wright and David Platt scored at Goodison Park. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, as it all comes wow. flooding back. His his
0: goal at the World Cup was the winner against Belgium in the last yeah. minute. He did it for England. Bloody hell! Was that, his first yeah. England
3: of that,
2: was that was his first goal. That was his first, first... England goal. Correct. Oh, I was yeah. just assuming he wasn't. It wasn't an English player. That's why I was so confused.
0: Managed Pune wow. City. Managed Pune City in 2015. England under 21s. Yes, David. I, Platt. Was...
2: I
3: 100% wasn't thinking of any England player. All I was thinking of Irish or Scottish or something. Yeah. What's David Platt's
2: international record, did you say? Goals and appearances for England? 27
0: goals in 62 caps.
1: Mm, that is incredibly good.
0: It's not, it's not bad at all, is it?
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. yeah. There you go. The career retrospective there in detail of, of David Platt ends with Charles Watts winning around. Of guessing,
3: I I am not taking any credit for winning that.
0: (laughs) I don't know if anyone. I don't know if anyone is still listening to celebrate that fact.
3: Come back. I don't know if anyone is. If they are, if they are, they they deserve an awful amount of credit.
0: Mrs. Watts, well done. I know he's forced you to listen, but yeah, you can go. You can leave now. Um, Guys, thank you for joining us. Sorry for the uselessness of our panel trying to guess those clues. Uh, I will have to make them easier next time. Thank you to Molly and to Simon for joining us. We'll be back on Monday after Everton to look back on that game. And we'll probably have a guest Laguna that might last less than, what, 25 minutes. Stay safe, everyone.